Welcome to the CXM Experience. I'm Grad Khan, Chief Experience Officer at Sprinkler, and I'm here to blow your mind today with a really great story about fabric softener. Blow your mind. That's my promise to you. Um, <laughs> um, not that I don't blow your minds every single time you listen to the show, but mm, today is going to be kind of special. <laughs> So um, this is actually a story I, I used to tell it a lot during speeches. I haven't done it. I haven't done it in a while. I haven't done a stand-up speech in more than a year for, I think, obvious reasons. And um, I think uh, even then I probably had started to take it out of my usual stump speech because I just had so many other things to talk about. But this is a story about B2B marketing. Maybe a little bit marketing in general, but B2B marketers are particularly particularly bad at understanding emotion. And so I, I, there's kind of two connected stories I sort of talk about. I have some facts about B2B marketing, uh, which are kind of fun. And then I'll talk a little bit about uh, how to think about B2B marketing from a B2C context. You know, I always like to tell people that I'm an ambidextrous marketer because I started my career in B2C and have done a lot of B2C over my career. But I've also spent probably the last near 15 years now, um, maybe more before that, because I had mixed uh, businesses in B2B. And I got a B2B to C background, a B2B background, a B2C background. So kind of all the B's and all the C's and all the B's uh, are all there together. So, And I, I have a general perspective that at the end of the day, we're just selling to human beings. And that person who's buying an Xbox is going to be making an enterprise software decision next week at work. Uh, you need to sort of think about everybody as a person. And for some reason, people, there's some slight differences, but people tend to think there's a big difference between B2C marketing and B2B marketing. And I, I think it's a smaller difference than people realize. So uh, what's the kind of core issue in B2B marketing? So in my opinion, one of the core issues in B2B marketing is we have a tendency to sell the speeds and feeds, that's an expression from Microsoft, we tend to sell the features. We tend to sell the, the things that people can you know, sort of compare products to each other on. But at the end of the day, you're not really selling those things. And B2C marketers, I think, do maybe understand a bit better that people buy based on emotion. People buy based on wanting to express something about themselves or wanting to show the world something about themselves. B2B marketing is actually arguably simpler than B2C marketing because there's only one emotion that people are selling against. That one emotion is career success. Now, that's a very rich emotion. Career success is tied to self-esteem and prestige, ultimately leads to things like status and money and the ability to su support a family and support yourself. But ultimately you're selling career success. If I buy this product from this vendor, will it help me advance in my career? Or is there a chance that the decision to buy this product will get me fired? And you know, it was very popular in the 1960s and 70s to say that IBM, you know, this is kind of an IBM positioning. It was, an, was not an official positioning. This is what people used to say about IBM. They would say, no one ever got fired for buying IBM. The idea being, there were other competitors who were upstarts, but if you'd made the decision to buy an IBM mainframe at the time, 
um, you can sort of point to your board and say, I know the project didn't work out, but gosh, we bought from IBM. It wasn't like I bought from, you know, Uncle Bob's house of <laughs> house of mainframes. Like I actually bought from the leading mainframe manufacturer. The fact that it didn't work, I, 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 come on, it can't be my fault. I made the right decision. So that that that's a, not a position IBM really kind of has anymore, but I think there's there are people out there who have positionings like that. Uh, I think people can say that, for example, about Salesforce. I think if you make a decision to use Salesforce as a CRO, no one can really blame you for making that decision. And there are you know many issues that people have with Salesforce, but at the end of the day, it's a pretty safe decision just to go with Salesforce. So uh, we'll leave that out there for a minute. So your emotion that you're selling against is this idea of career success, and uh, so that's going to be a really long bar. And then a really sharp bar would be, I'm going to get fired if I buy this. So let me create a contrast. And this is where I'm going to blow your mind. Let me create a contrast from the real B2C example. So I'm going to talk about fabric software. Now, I'm going to speak from a position of reasonable amount of expertise here because I worked at Procter & Gamble for nine years. And I was the whole time pretty much in the laundry room. I started, you know, in the wash cycle with Tide, moved to the rinse cycle um, with Downy, ultimately got to the dryer uh, with the Downy sheets business and, and then, you know, saw, oversaw a lot of other brands, but kind of worked my way through the laundry room from wash through the rinse, through drying. And then, um, and then I got onto the floors and onto the dishes and all that kind of stuff. But I was always in surfactants, always in detergents. And um, what most people don't realize, of course, is that Almost all things are detergents. Your soap is a detergent, unless you're using ivory, and your shampoo is a detergent, and your dishwashing liquid, which we call light-duty liquids, LDLs, that's a detergent. Um, what you put in your dishwasher, that's a detergent. And the thing you call detergent, which is the thing you put on your clothes, is also a detergent. Although it would be kind of fun if the thing you put on your clothes that you call detergent wasn't detergent and everything else was detergent that'd be really cool but that's not true it is kind of true in the nut category i always kind of find find it kind of funny that pine nuts not a nut they're a seed uh whereas almonds very much a nut uh, i'm a bit allergic to nuts to put it mildly and so i'll say to people hey are there any nuts in this and they'll say well there are pine nuts and i'm like not a nut i'm good with that and they say no there are no, no nuts then i said what's the crust made out of oh it's made out of almond flour Hmm. Almond flour, that's a nut. <laughs> so that's a little bit of an aside. So let me come back to this. Downy is a product where if I were to describe it to you the way a B2B seller would typically describe their products, I'm going to guess it's probably a product you wouldn't want to buy. So I'm going to do that first. And then I'm going to tell you how Downy really sells itself, which you're going to be familiar with. And then I'm going to just wind that back around the road one more time to connect it to this whole B2B idea of what you're really selling in B2B is career success. And, you know, honestly, I think that as a company, instead of looking at NPS or ha happiness or whatever, you should look at how many of your customers got promoted this year because, you know, they're using your product. You know, how much are you doing to help the careers of the people that are making a commitment to you? That would be a great positioning. So let me come back to uh, Downey, though. So what is Downey? Downey is a fabric softener. As people are saying it's a fabric softener. Oh, great, great. Okay, it's a fabric softener. There's a few out there. There's Snuggle, a couple other sort of no-name brands and stuff like that. But what 
is a fabric softener. And right now we're going to talk about the liquid version that you put in the washing machine. And with modern washing machines, you put it in the compartment and then it's dispensed at the right moment. And that right moment is after the wash has occurred uh, in the rinse cycle, post-detergent, post-wash. Uh, and if you're using a slightly older version of a washing machine, you have to catch the rinse cycle and put the downy in unless you're using something called the downy ball, which I was kind of famous for. And the downy ball was uh, an automatic kind of dispenser that mechanically was set up to open when the rinse cycle started. So when the machine started to spin uh, at rinse cycle speeds, the, it would automatically open and release the downy most of the time. <laughs> and if it would release it early, you never knew. You just assumed it worked. Uh, so what is downy? What is fabric softener? What is the stuff that you're putting on your clothes? No hands? This is like my favorite part of doing it as a speech. Because at this point, everyone's dumbfounded. They're like, yeah, what is that stuff? <laughs> Especially like the dedicated launderers like myself. I use fabric softener in every load. Can you like, what, what, what is it? Like what in fact is fabric softener made out of? How, how does it work? Like no idea, right? Like never even crossed your mind. I, no, I have no concept of how it works. The detergent, you're probably a little closer on. The suds and detergent are a bit of a giveaway. So detergent, as you probably know, is you know a series of molecules that are all with a positive charge. And so they repel against each other and they, and they sort of are attracted to the negative ions in the water and then they repel against each other and then they're repelling. That's what creates a bubble and that uh, reaches underneath pieces of dirt as they repel from each other and then lifts off the dirt. So that's, that's how a detergent works. And there's builders that kind of tie up the hard water so that the, too much of the surfactant doesn't get attracted to negative ions in the hard water, all that kind of stuff that goes on. But ultimately, pretty straightforward process. What's downy made out of? What's fabric softener made out of? How does liquid fabric softener work? I got all day here, folks. Come on. Oh, wait a second. You can't talk to me right now. Okay, so I'm going to tell you. So um, let me describe what it does, right? So when fabric feels rough, like say a rough towel, the reason it feels rough is that the various fibers of the towel are matted together. They're kind of overlaid and tied together and sort of matted together. And that's as you run your hand over it, it feels rough and uneven a really soft towel, the fibers are all separate from each other. And as you run your hand over it, the fibers very gently sort of caress your hand all in sort of a series, like a beautifully played piano set of piano keys when you run your back of your hand across it. Very, very even feeling, very soft feeling. So what fabric softener does is it helps the fibers stand away from each other. So you get that soft feeling. So how do you get fibers to stand away from each other? Well, you coat them in something, right? You coat them so that each coated fiber stands apart from the other coated fibers. That's how fabric softener works. It coats your fibers. With what? Hey, Uncle Grad, what are we coating our fibers with? Well, that's, I'm glad you asked. One really great way to do this is to use clay. This is a little bit why sometimes if you use fabric softener all the time, like I do, every once in a while you do a load without it because your towels stop absorbing water. If you've ever noticed, like really 
heavily fabric softener towel is not very absorbent because it's coated in liquid clay. That's what fabric softener is. Fabric softener is liquid clay. I know. You want to just pour that all over your clothes right now, don't you? <laughs> Listen, I still use it. And I know, I know more about fabric softener than, than I ever wanted to know. But uh, I use it all the time. I love it. Also, clothes are easier to fold and a lot easier to manage when they've got fabric softener in them. But they are coated in clay. And the reason that you put them in the rinse cycle is that if you put them in the wash cycle, the clay would be removed by the detergent. That's why I gave you the detergent uh, less than a few minutes ago, because clay is, traditionally speaking, dirt. Uh, so you're, you know, it's clean clay. I mean, the, the clay in down, very clean, very clean. Clean as a daisy. And um, that was the other name they're going to have for the product. Uh, and so it's, it's, it's beautiful clay. It's beautiful, gorgeous clay. Um, but it's, it's clay. Okay, so that's a B2B pitch for downing. And generally, like, I don't know, how many people want to rush out and buy a pile of downing right now? <laughs> You're like, wow, I'm never using that stuff again. And uh, that, to me, has always been sort of an interesting story because no one really knows what downing's made of or how it works, and no one really cares because downy sells itself a very different way. So the way that Downey sells itself is it focuses on people who do a lot of laundry, who are focused on doing a great job on laundry and for whom a great smelling pile of laundry is a sign of love for their family. What they do is they have pictures of parents, moms, dads, etc., wrapping their children in these soft towels. Sometimes there's a demo showing bubbles not, not exploding when they land on the soft dining towels, but mostly downy ads are about oh, it smells amazing looks amazing and oh wow you really love your family you really love your family you really want to show love for your family you're going to use downy and in fact the brand strategy for downy is downy is love in a bottle isn't that great downy is love in a bottle not clay in a bottle which it actually is love in a bottle and I think a lot of B2B sellers would benefit from saying that their product is success in the cloud or whatever they want, however they want to define it. Uh, last little bit on sort of love in a bottle. So there's another great product from Procter & Gamble called Olay. It used to be called Oil of Olay. It's called Olay now. And uh, it, was, uh, it also has a very similar kind of strategy. It's a... Uh, and Olay is something in a bottle as well. And this goes way back, way back to, you know, when it was called Oil of Olay. I, I usually would ask people, what do you think it is? You know, is it? And then people start shouting out answers. Um, so one person would say, uh, because they just heard the Downey story, they would say, Olay is love in a bottle. And I'm like, no, no, that's not love in a bottle. It's not just something different. And then people start to go to actually functional attributes. You know, like, attractiveness, youth, like that kind of stuff. And those are not emotions. And it's actually quite amazing to me. I just, I've all done like at this point about 15 minutes on emotion, like what emotion is, emotion, emotion, emotion. And then when I start to ask these questions, people are like all over the map with functional benefits. They instantly forget about emotions. The emotion for Olay is, Olay is hope in a bottle. Hope in a bottle. 
I love that. Anyway, so today we were all talking about emotion versus features. And I think you can see that if I were to describe what Olay is made out of, <laughs> things that really get crazy. Okay, so, so you don't want to know that, right? And you don't need to know that. What you need to know is that you can exercise an emotion by buying that product that's important to you. And I would say the same thing should be true of B2B and not enough B2B companies take advantage of that. Uh, and for the CXM experience, I'm Grad Khan, and I'll see you next time. <laughs>